From the look and sound of things, the establishment Democrats right alongside the establishment Republicans are dedicated to making Ukraine great again. And if that doesn't make your blood boil, you might not have a pulse. The show starts now. So in case you're wondering, East Palestine, Ohio is still a toxic wasteland. Biden bypassed it on his way to kiss Zelensky's ring in Ukraine. And diversity pick Pete says he will go when the time is right. They don't care because the people of East Palestine, Ohio, are white Trump supporters who would likely never vote Democrat. So without the need to court their vote, the Biden administration really has no use for them. But for some reason, they have a big use for a foreign president in a tracksuit, Zelensky. Biden spent President's Day over there thanking Zelensky for allowing American taxpayers to fork over hundreds of billions to him. And as you can see, Joe is wearing a suit, but Zelensky is wearing his jammies, the perfect visual representation of the power dynamic Joe has created. If only Joe loved America this much. All across my country, in big cities and small towns, Ukrainian flags fly from American homes. Let's get one thing straight, Joe. The only flag patriots fly is the American flag. It's the double mass virtue signaling weirdos plus Adam Kinzinger and Mitch McConnell that fly the flag of a foreign nation. They've committed the rest of us to this farce and we won out. But if you thought there would be an end to it, well, wrong. There's going to be another fight over another round of aid. We're about $200 billion into this so far. There are questions about where the U.S. commitment ends to this. We're going to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Congress did not authorize war against Russia. Congress did not authorize paying for this war endlessly either, or paying for the retirement pensions or anything else for the people of a foreign nation. This is straight up repulsive. And the swamp runs deep on both sides. My question is, how long can America overcome if she is continually and blatantly put last? I don't even want to know the answer to that. Do you? But still ahead, there is a lot wrong in this country, and we could write a lot of it if we turn back to Jesus. One Kentucky town is leading the charge, and maybe, just maybe, it's the revival we need. More next. Hey guys, it's Tommy, host of Tommy Laren is Fearless, right here on OutKick. You know, I asked my guests the burning questions you want to know, and now you have the chance to ask me the questions. On February 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be here in studio hosting an exclusive Zoom meet and greet for OutKick VIP members only. So head to outkick.com slash VIP now to join and reserve your spot. Space is limited. I'll see you soon. In recent years, we've become rather used to large groups of people gathering and refusing to leave. But typically, it's in the name of some BS like BLM or Antifa, climate change, or just good old-fashioned looting and rioting. Because nothing says justice for George Floyd quite like stealing big screen TVs or Gucci belts. But the gathering in the small Kentucky town of Wilmore, the small Christian Ashbury University, has been quite a different change of pace. What started as a gathering of students united in prayer and worship has become a phenomenon unlike anything I've ever seen. Since this revival began nearly two weeks ago, thousands of worshipers from around the country and even the world have descended upon this small town of 6,000 to praise God. Not climate change, not liberalism, not masks or vaccines or BLM false idols but God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could this gathering mean something bigger? Could it be the start, the kickoff to the resurgence, the revival of Christianity's great American comeback? 
While my next guest says the national coverage of Asbury shows one thing, people are searching for hope and they want something different. Joining me now with more is founding pastor of Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills, Pastor Jack Hibbs. Pastor Jack, it's Tommy? great to have yeah. you. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. So I want to start off with what we're seeing in Kentucky right now, because I think that it's throwing a lot of people off. You know, we've been told time and time again that people, especially young people, are not necessarily into Christianity or faith. They identify more as spiritual, whatever that really means to Gen Z and millennials. But this gathering that's now accumulated thousands of people from around the world, could this be the start of something bigger? Well, listen, I do believe it is the start of something bigger. And, and Tommy, I'm telling you from experience, it's not just there. But I got to tell you, during COVID, we saw our church double in size and it's still, it still continues to double. Tens of thousands of people show up every week. And I think that's spreading in various parts of the United States where pastors and leaders are being, what, more obedient to what God's word has to say versus to what the local politics has to dictate. And so I do believe it's something that is going to continue. I think we've reached a point, Tommy, where uh, young kids, they're searching and what they have found doesn't satisfy them. So they're looking beyond themselves. And, and I, I wanna be clear, the answer is not church. The answer is not religion. The answer is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what these kids are falling in love with. And so we're all for that. It's nice to have that alternative because what they're seeing on social media, on television, on TikTok, pop culture, it definitely is not the word of God. In fact, it's quite the opposite and it's more evil in nature. We're seeing a lot of forces of evil, especially impacting our young people. It surrounds them every day. But what we're seeing at this small Christian college and the people that have joined this revival, as they're calling it, is, is really something quite special. I wonder, though, what advice would you give young people who look at faith? who look at Christianity or really, like I said, any faith for that matter, and they think, you know, I don't know if I fit in here. It seems like it has a lot of rules. It seems like it's very judgmental. I'm not sure that that's for me. How do you bring those people into the fold? Listen, number one, I'm so grateful that they do realize that, that they are, they're actually thinking, this is, this is not for me. Rules and regulations, stand up, sit down, uh, you know, fill out the boxes, no, that's not how God is. Everything that's meaningful, Tommy, to you and I is personal. Be it a, with a pet, be it with family, friends, it's personal. And God is personal. He made us a personality because God is a personality as a person. So do we. He made us in uh, his image. So the point is this, that kids are waking up and realizing, I don't need rules. I need a relationship. I, I, I need that gap filled that I didn't have maybe through parents or friendships. But the bottom line is this. We live in a guilt-ridden society. We have all sinned and come short of the standard of God. So says the Bible. Here's the beauty. God knows this and God has communicated to us and said, I gave you my son to take care of your sin. He died on the cross so that you can be with me in heaven forever. There's no greater message, Tommy. There's no greater release. There's no greater freedom. That's not religion. That's relationship that God invites us to experience. I'm so glad that you said that because I think for some young people and really people of all ages that have not grown up in the church, or maybe they even have, religion seems very intimidating to them. It seems like something that's very hard to understand and to be a part of because in some areas and in some churches, it feels very exclusionary. And young people now are all about being woke and all about this false idea of inclusivity. So it's very intimidating. 
But I also want to talk about some of the forces of evil in this country. I, I don't have to tell you this. Americans are very divided, whether it be racially or politically, between straight LGBTQ. I mean, there's a lot of division in this country. We're headed into a 2024 election already gearing up. What do you see as being the uniting factor for Americans that can bring us together ahead of what's going to be, again, more turmoil? Tommy, I'm going to use a word that most people now are sick of hearing, but it's true. And that is what's going to unite us is real, honest, truthful transparency. If people speak, now listen, for our young people, this is a big one. If people speak and do honestly and transparently what they believe in, Okay, young people will gravitate to uh, the honesty of that, the transparency of that. We don't want another politician. That was the that was the attraction of Trump, is that he was not a politician. Did he say crazy things, harsh things at times? Yes, but the bottom line was he was attractive to honesty. The, he, here's what's going to be a success in any area. It's that people, especially young people, hear even old people like me speaking transparently honestly, truthfully, because Tommy, this is how we receive the truth. If somebody tells me the truth, look, if I had spaghetti hanging on my chin and I don't know it and nobody tells me about it, they don't love me. But if somebody walks up and says, you know, um, you've got spaghetti hanging on your cheek. What does that mean? It means they cared enough to tell me because they're concerned about what I look like. We need to do that with the young people. We need to tell them this is right. This is wrong. This is why. And I love you anyway, but you should know that. And just speak like Jesus spoke. Notice the Bible says sinners, common people, and children loved to follow Jesus. That's what we need to be like is the biblical Jesus, not the religious Jesus, not the Baptist Jesus, the Calvary Chapel Jesus, or the Catholic Jesus, the Bible Jesus. And we know that that's a proven test that his love can conquer all things. And that's what we need to do. I think one of the biggest challenges for young people coming up in this society are a couple of things. Number one, it's how the church reconciles this idea of the, what I call the rainbow mafia, the LGBTQ of it all. I know a lot of churches have embraced that and said, come as you are. And although I'm not into the grooming and I'm not into all of this crap that's going on, this gender transition, I find all of that to be quite frankly evil. I do have an appreciation for places of worship that say, come as you are, we don't judge you. Because I, I do, as I was raised, that's Christianity. But a lot of young people that are in that rainbow mafia, as I call it, they look at church and they say, you know what, I'm either gay or I'm a gay ally, so church is not possibly, could not possibly be for me. How do you talk to those young people? <laughs> I talk to them all the time, and here's what's amazing. If you attend any of our church services, it is completely packed with a demographic of age that is shocking. We've got kids in the sanctuary that are 10 years old to people that are literally in their 90s, and, and, it's, and it's packed out. Why? What's going on? They know that they're going to hear truth, and when somebody maybe of the LBGDQ community comes, and they do come, what they hear is that they are welcome. We're all welcome to come as we are. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. Look, LBGTQ was not my problem. I had other problems. But when I first heard the gospel, I realized, wow, I'm in a setting where truth is being spoken. I know it's true. And I feel kind of like I'm being opened up right now. And I need to be honest with what truth is. And I just heard it and I need to respond. So yes, Jesus says, come as you are. But here's the cool thing. 
He makes us new creations. He changes us. That's why what you're seeing at Asbury and other places here at this church is that people are being transformed by the power of God, not by some committee, not by some board or some propaganda or some personality. It's the power of God's word. And I think we should get used to people now running to hear truth because they want to see a transparent world. They don't know what to trust anymore. Social media, who knows what's real? News, we can't tell. But when God speaks, Tommy, he does that witnessing on the inside of us and they'll know and they'll come to him. I think that's an excellent and wonderful strategy. Instead of blocking people out and saying that you don't fit the definition of a Christian or a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Baptist, just say, everybody come as you are and learn while you're here and maybe you might change your mind. Maybe you won't, but it's all about the fellowship. So I, I imagine that that's your same message to those right now. We've got, of course, yeah. we always have had a very heated abortion debate in this country. We know with the... Roe v. Wade overturned, that was reignited in our country, and churches were really at the epicenter of that. So what do you tell people, especially being in California? I mean, I live in California. I know there are conservative areas, but by and large, it's a blue state that has now protected abortion pretty much up until birth. What do you say to people that might be on the more pro-choice side, but they're also a Christian? What does your church tell those people? Well, first of all, I love science, by the way. That's my background. Before I was ever a pastor, I worked in the biomedical engineering world for 13 years. So I use a lot of actual science when I'm doing Bible teaching. And so I love to challenge those who will say something like, well, it's my body, my choice. Well, that's an easy statement to make, but I love unpacking it honestly, truthfully, but lovingly. And that is to get people to think. I believe if we can get people to think correctly, critically, even scientifically, because I believe the, the God, the author of the Bible is the author of science. They don't contradict. So when we talk about pro-life, what are we talking about? When we talk about somebody, well, I'm pro-choice. What does that mean? Let's unpack that. And when somebody says, well, it's not really life, but I always say, wait a minute. I know a little bit about science. The sperm is alive. The egg is alive. When they collide, it's all life. So it comes down to understanding what is viable to you. Because what's viable to someone may not be viable to somebody else. But God says, I was in the womb forming you and shaping you and assembling your parts when no one could see. That's what God says. So let's let God speak to the issue. Let's take our feelings and put them on the altar of truth. Let's see what happens. I love that approach. And I think, again, it's breaking down an intimidation wall for a lot of people who do look at faith and religion in very much a political way. The last thing I want to ask you, because I know, because our producer attended your church, and I know that she's a big fan of yours, and I can see why, but she was telling me about the time of COVID, and even in our beginning of our interview, you had mentioned that since COVID, your church has doubled in size. Now, I wonder, was that maybe a silver lining, all the COVID lockdowns? Did it maybe remind faith-based people that their faith can be taken away or their fellowship can be taken away and it's worth fighting for? Do you think that 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 also created some kind of a groundswell for Christianity and faith to make a comeback post-COVID? How, how can I answer you any better than what you just said? The answer is an overwhelming yes. I mean, I almost feel bad telling you right now that COVID was one of the greatest things that ever happened. Doesn't that sound terrible? Listen, Tommy, we saw 
13 to 15,000 people a week coming to church. Those numbers have been sustained. We're years out now from the initial events of COVID and people are viewing, people are coming. People are, uh, I met people last week from England, from New York, from uh, Portland that continue to come because they found us online during COVID. Why did they find us online? Because our doors were open. People were packing this place out because they realized, you know what? If, if this is what's going on, I need to know God. I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to go to church and find truth. And that's what happened. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't cold-hearted about it. We, we provided spacing for some people if they wanted. We provided masks if people wanted that. You could sit outside. You could sit in the overflow region. Or you could just pack the place out and sit with us in the main sanctuary. The point was this. Yes, a silver lining was this. People picked up real quick. Hey, you know what? Something seems weird. We got this expert saying one thing, that expert saying the other. I need to find truth. And we just dished up truth from the Bible and people still are packing in an hour before service begins. There's a line outside the door to get in. That's so wonderful to hear. And I hope that that's a story in churches and places of worship around the country because people need something. They need something that's bigger than the news, bigger than mm -hmm. social media, bigger than the talking heads. They need something that's personal to them and a personal relationship with God is the epitome of that. Pastor Jack, thank you so much for spending so much time with me. And I hope one day I can go with Kylie and I can attend your church because it sounds like a great place to be. It's a great place to be and I can't wait to see you. God bless you. God bless you. Still ahead and sticking with the faith theme tonight, my next guest is a Canadian pastor who's been jailed for defying Canada's communist code protocols. He is finally on trial after years of arrests and even imprisonment. Pastor Artur Pulowski joins me next. You think COVID tyranny was bad in the USA? Well, our friendly Canadian neighbors to the north went through utter hell at the hands of their wannabe dictator, Justin Trudeau, Lord of the Dorks. When the tyrants of Canada shut down church services along with everything else, my next guest held out. Pastor Arter Pulowski was the first Canadian clergyman to be ticketed for alleged COVID-19 violations, but it went beyond ticketing. Pastor Pulowski was fined, arrested, and even imprisoned for keeping his church open. And now after years of bullying, he stands trial and is accused of causing $400 million worth of damages for officiating a church service during the Freedom Trucker blockade at the U.S.-Canada border last year. But he is the embodiment of faith over fear. Joining me now is the path pastor of Cave Adullam Congregation in Calgary, Pastor Arthur Pulowski. So, Pastor, you face up to 10 years in prison if convicted on the charges stemming from the Freedom Trucker blockade. You're charged with mischief over $5,000, contravention of the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act, and failure to comply with your release condition to keep the peace and be of good behavior. So why hold out and do you regret standing as strong as you did for so long? Absolutely not. Thank you so much for having me on your show. No, I do not regret a thing. I mean, every generation faces their own historical moments. And I think this is our time to rise up, to stand up, to shine. This is the time of the lions, the pride of lions coming together against the hyenas. I mean, like I said, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain. I've seen this movie before. My parents stood up. Their parents stood up against the Nazis. It's our time to stand up against the wannabe tyrants, as I call them, the modern day pharaohs today. 
Yeah, what happened in Canada, I mean, we all went through COVID tyranny. We went through COVID tyranny here in the USA. We had our churches shut down. We had our pastors ticketed, and they had them threatened to close their doors. But it was nothing like what you saw in Canada, and in some regards, still seeing in Canada. I mean, the fact that Canada went to the lengths that it did under Trudeau to really not only lock down and keep everything locked down, but to squash free speech and that's exactly what the word of God is and what you did is free speech and it's, it's freedom of expression. We know that the laws in Canada are certainly different than they are in the USA. But take me back to that time. Take me back to everything that you went through to make sure that you, ca you kept faith alive. Well, uh, here is what I do for the past 24 years. I am taking care of the homeless people on the streets, not, not just Calgary, but on the streets of other cities as well. I started about 40 of ministries like this around the world. I work with the native community. We deliver food worth millions of dollars to different uh, poor neighborhoods. So that's what I was doing when this um, craziness showed up. I kept feeding the poor. When I received a letter from the city hall telling me that we have to shut down our soup kitchen, it just did not make any sense. So I replied to them that if we're truly in the middle of this crisis, then my services are needed more than ever. I replied also uh, to the ministers and also to the premier of Alberta. Of course, no one even uh, replied. No one even cared to address this issue. Instead, they sent police officers and I became the first Canadian to receive COVID tickets. Since then, my record is over 100 police officers 52 police cars, SWAT team, 20 cops on bicycles, anti-terrorists, and the chief of police. I uh, end up with over 40 COVID tickets, and I did the biggest crime of them all when the Canadian government declared that singing is prohibited by law. We had carolers, so I end up with 15 more tickets just for that event. Then they started to come and harass us in a building uh, when they invaded our place of worship. Of course, contrary to Criminal Code of Canada, Section 176, 1, 2, and 3, I kicked them out. And um, I went and I delivered my sermon like always, and I did not anticipate the reply that came from around the world. And of course, uh, billions of people watched that video and the government came raging. They showed up with the court orders, with SWAT team. Ultimately, I was arrested five times, sometimes with my brother David. I spent the first time three days on concrete, later 50 days in solitary confinement, metal cages, in solitary on concrete, uh, uh, psych psych ward, believe it or not. And then eventually they took me to a mag spot for the most dangerous terrorists in a country. Uh, a total insanity. I mean, from the very beginning to, to the very end, uh, you can't, you, you know, you look at this and, and the only thing that comes to mind, Soviet Russia, North uh, Korea, China, maybe Saudi Arabia, not the free and democratic society like they claim that we have. And I am the first one and the only Canadian charged with interfering with the crucial infrastructure under the Defense Act, like some kind of a terrorist. Because why? Because I dared to deliver a church service to the truckers at the border. When I came in, the roads were open. When I left, the roads were open. I never once said block the roads. I just I went there with worshipers. We were singing hymns. We did the Lord's Supper. And I told them, 
about my experience growing up behind the Iron Curtain under the Solidarity Uprising, which was, of course, peaceful. What I said to the crowd, no violence, no guns, no swords. We have to do what the Solidarity people did, which is non-compliance. Stop working for the villains and it will collapse their economy. Well, it was that speech, which is the first speech ever or the first pastor's sermon ever scrutinized with terrorism that they went word by word claiming that I cost Canadian economy over $400 million worth of damages. He compared me to Rwanda genocide. He said my speech was inciting people to commit acts of violence and murder. Uh, he says, I have no idea what I'm talking about, solidarity movement. And of course, I'm a Polish immigrant. As you can tell, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain. A total insanity. This trial is truly a trial of the century. If I would to go down, if this judge convicts me, Canada effectively will cease to have freedom of expression and freedom of religion. We will be truly living uh, behind the Iron Curtain, not in Canada anymore, but in China. What? Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm glad that you brought that up. Even just listening to you, I've read this story, I've heard your story, but I think my viewers, as I am, are shocked that this is happening in Canada, so close to us. We went through tyranny, like I said. But the level that Canada went and then saying that you caused millions of damage to the economy when they essentially locked everybody down for more than a year and truly collapsed their own economy as they did here in the U.S. as well. Uh, it's really, really bizarre to me that Trudeau and the leaders of Canada can get away with this. But I wonder what the response has been from Canadians, because I have some Canadian friends. My husband played in Toronto for a number of years for the Blue Jays, so I have some perspective of Canada. And from what I know of Canadians, is that they don't really like to ruffle feathers. They don't really like to burn bridges. They, they don't like to rock the boat. So you obviously came in and you rocked the boat. The Freedom Truckers rocked the boat. What was the response from your fellow Canadians to what you did and how you held out? Well, I have never been more, more popular than I am right now. When I do town halls, uh, halls I, there is standing ovation every single time I, I show up. So it, re it resonates with people. They are the stand that this government is not for them, is actually working against them. And I'm talking about government uh, from all colors. There is no difference. The conservatives, the liberals, and the NDP psychopaths, the communists and the socialists here in, in Canada, they're all the same. They're all part of the same globalistic takeover. So more and more Canadians are waking up, more and more Canadians are realizing that this awesome, amazing government that they thought that they have is actually trying to enslave them. And I mean, and I mean the globalists are very open. They're not even hiding anymore what their plans are. You will own nothing. You will be eating crickets and you will be riding on a bicycle, uh, you know, in minus 35. And you will be happy. So I think more and more people are realizing what the whole thing is is all about. 51% of Canadians are already struggling with just paying bills. And this is just the beginning of tra tragedy. Uh, people are dying because of the adverse reactions left and right. I mean, almost every day, there's someone uh, that is facing a tragedy. The people, millions of uh, Canadians cannot work anymore because of the jobs. So I think more and more people are realizing what was done to 
them. I mean, it is a sad story because I tried my best to warn them. You see, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. And my um, my yelling and screaming, if you will, from the rooftops was always the same. Hey, wake up, stand up. This is our window of opportunity to have a government that actually represents you, the government that will actually work for you, not against you. So I think Canadians are waking up. It takes a while. Uh, but I am hopeful. I am hopeful that uh, Canadians will do the right thing. They will go to the poll and they will vote for the right candidates. Enough of revolving door, uh, enough of let's vote for the lesser of two evils. Now we have to get rid of the evils and start working with good candidates and vote for good candidates. Well, I'm glad that you are really leading the charge because, you know, what started off as something that was faith-based for you and what started off for the Canadian government is something that was COVID-based. They've really morphed together in this big battle of good versus evil and freedom versus tyranny. And that's the battle that you are fighting. And it's going to send a powerful message. Last thing I have to ask you, how do you think that this trial is going to end up for you? Well, like I said, if I was to be convicted, then uh, Canada is gone. I mean, they can get away with the murder. Literally, they are getting away with the murder. But I believe that I'm going to be vindicated 100%. My story, it's not ending. I have been elected to be the leader of the Independence Party of Alberta. We have thousands of new members. I'm going to run in this upcoming election in May to replace those devils, those vipers, scorpions, and snakes. So. In order for me to do that, I have to be free. I'm still on house arrest over a year, believe it or not, after I was released on strict conditions. So it's very hard, but I was already offered all kinds of incentives from the government. So that tells me they're afraid of me. They're afraid of our movement. And rightfully so, because we will eventually take over and bring accountability checks and balances back into our beloved Alberta. So um, I believe I'm going to win. I believe that we are going to grow, keep growing, and that's pretty much what we can wish for, um, spreading the, the truth. And the Bible is very clear. The truth shall set the captives free. It's all about the truth. That's why you've got so much misinformation, disinformation, lie that is, uh, you know, uh, forwarded left and right and supported by other lies. What we bring is the truth. I mean, the evidence is here. The science is here. People are getting it. So I'm very hopeful. I think we're going to win, and I think I'm going to be vindicated. Your passion and your energy is so refreshing to hear. Uh, I'm praying for you, and I want to thank you. I'm here in the United States of America, which was never as bad as it is in Canada, but we still need to wake up here in this country as well because we still have horrible leaders. And if they were able to take our rights and our privileges and our freedoms away once, they will no doubt try to do it again. So it's going to be up to people like you, people like me, and patriots in both countries and globally to make sure it never happens again. Pastor, I'm thinking about you, praying for you, and God bless you. Thank you so much. Still ahead, I have a controversial opinion on this whole Don Lemon, Nikki Haley saga, and my final thoughts are next. Hey guys, it's Tommy, host of Tommy Lahren is Fearless, right here on OutKick. You know, I asked my guests the burning questions you want to know, and now you have the chance to ask me the questions. On February 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be here in studio hosting an exclusive Zoom meet and greet for OutKick VIP members only. So head to outkick.com slash VIP now to join and reserve your spot. Space is limited. I'll see you soon. 
Okay, this pearl clutching over Don Lemon's comments on female aging is getting a little old and a little whiny, and here are my final thoughts. All right, so late last week, Don Lemon made a comment on CNN about Nikki Haley not being in her prime at age 51, saying that women are in their prime from their 20s to maybe their 40s. Well, as we well know by now, the comment did not go over well. The comment was disrespectful and offensive, but good God, get over it, people. I'm a woman, still in my prime, according to Don, and I thought it was a cringy comment to make, but newsflash, the man has said a whole lot worse about Trump supporters and conservatives in general. I'm offended mothers can't find baby formula. I'm offended our country is being overrun by illegal immigrants. I'm offended the people of East Palestine have been basically ignored and left out to dry. I'm offended Joe keeps kissing Zelensky's behind and sending him more of our tax dollars. I'm offended our country is going to crap. But am I offended Don Lemon thinks women are past their prime in their 50s? No. This faux outrage is pathetic. Move on. Nothing irritates me more than conservatives clutching pearls in such a fake and phony way. It doesn't suit us, and yeah, it really burns my ass when conservatives cheer on cancel culture when it suits our side. That's some BS, and I won't stand for it. The man has been nailed to the cross, utterly crucified for his comment, and he was pulled off the morning show for nearly a week because of it. Now, he returned to the show this morning, but only after receiving formal training on his hurtful and sexist comments. Oh, goodness gracious, give me a frickin' break. The man was put through some BS sensitivity training for that little, albeit insensitive and rude, comment about Nikki Haley's age? Quite frankly, and this might be a controversial take, but Nikki Haley ought to be sending Don Lemon a fruit basket because he made her campaign and her dismal personality relevant for a week. So you're welcome, Nikki. And honestly, isn't it pathetic that the only interesting or noteworthy thing about Nikki Haley's announcement has been this? Like, literally, no one cared about her corny-ass announcement about kicking bullies with her heels until Don Lemon made that quip about her age. Nikki, darling, you're running for president. Have you been awake the last seven years? They say way worse about Donald Trump on a daily basis and to this very day. If you want to run for president and as a Republican, you better grow some thick skin to go along with your high heels. This is all too much. It's overly dramatic, and it reeks of leftist lib behavior, and I'm sick of it. Sorry, not sorry. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless, and take care.